Um, listen, we're going to kick off this new series called Unexpected. Um, we were, you know, I told you last week we had another plan for a Christmas series, and it was I'll be home for Christmas, and it would have had to turn into like I'll still be home for Christmas, right? I think everybody's like, maybe not, that's, that might not be the best theme. So um, since 2020 has gone nothing like anybody planned, we thought Unexpected might be a good way to wrap this year up. So we're going to take the next, this whole month of December and talk about some unexpected things. Uh, this morning we're going to be in a book I bet you have not spent a lot of time in, but you'll find it quickly. We're going to be in Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you don't know where that is, uh, you can just like open your Bible maybe like halfway and then start going back to the left and eventually, or maybe to the right a little bit, you'll find it eventually. Um, the last book of the, new, of the Old Testament, Malachi. Some people have mistakenly thought that it was Malachi and he was Italian, but he was not. Okay, so it's Malachi. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. And we're actually going to be, it's the last verse of the Old Testament. Um, what I want to do this morning is help us see an unexpected silence. Okay? Now, when I read this verse, I immediately thought about cliffhangers. And if I say the word cliffhanger, I'm not sure that everybody in the room knows what a cliffhanger is. Because we live in the age of Netflix. So Netflix has killed the cliffhanger, right? Because now we binge watch everything. So if you're watching an episode and it ends kind of suspenseful, like the three words that now I grew up, I'm showing my age now, I grew up when we couldn't binge watch. So if you were really into a series and then it ended and you were like, there's no, I can remember it's like turning people I'm watching with, like, there's only five minutes left. There's no way they can wrap this up in five minutes. And then you'd see the three words that you hated to see. Remember what those were? To be right. See, like, everybody over a certain age knows that. And everybody else under a certain age is like, huh? You just, like, it starts playing in 15 seconds. Right? Because that's how Netflix works. Or you just, you just click it and go ahead and go right to it. In the age of binge watching, we have forgotten what cliffhangers are all about. What I want you to see in Malachi 4.6 is that God lays down the ultimate cliffhanger. So some context. All of the Old Testament, he's been leading his people, right? He has a people. He's been leading them. He's been giving them promises. We would call them prophecies. They've been pointing to his deliverance. Yes, you with me so far? All the way through the Old Testament. And we get to the end of the Old Testament. And he finishes it with this in Malachi chapter 4 verse 6. Now verse 5 says he's going to send Elijah. And that was fulfilled when John the Baptist came as a prophet to make the way for Jesus. And then he finishes the last verse says this. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. Now if you're all on board with families, that's your amen verse right there. Right? And the hearts of the children to their parents. And if you got... Teenagers, you're like, yes, Jesus, do it quickly, right? But then he says, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And I read that, and I was like, God, this is the ultimate cliffhanger. You just led your people all the way to as far as you could take them at that point, and then you said, listen, here's the deal, y'all. I'm either going to deliver you or I'm going to destroy you to be continued. For 400 years. Y'all, that's longer than the Cubs waited to win a championship. 
400 years. That's a long time. We don't even like to wait in the DMV line. For 400 years, crickets. And, and I, I, I had somebody push back on that this week. They're like, you really believe that God was silent for 400 years? Well, from Malachi to Matthew is 400 years. And there's nothing there. And theologians will actually say, these are, these are the 400 years of silence when God was not speaking. And the question is, what do we do with that? What do we do? Because it's not just those 400 years. My guess is if we went around the room, there are some of us here this morning who are living in a moment of silence. We didn't expect it. We're expecting God to do something else. And it's like we pray and, God, where, where are you? Why am I not hearing you? And so if we're going to come up against times of silence, we've got to know how to handle that. So this morning, all I want to do is I want to show you two, two benefits of silence. Now, some of you, if you're married to somebody who uses lots of words, you're like, I already know there's a benefit to silence. Right? Okay? But we're not talking about your spouse right now. Okay? We're talking about benefits of silence when God goes dark. Let's say it that way. When God silences what, what is the benefit to us? Here's two benefits. Here's number one. The first benefit is that silence challenges us. Challenging doesn't sound like a benefit, okay? But here's what that means. Silence challenges the distractedness of our lives. We were just talking, right, about how sometimes God isn't as quiet as we think he is. Sometimes our lives are loud, and we have to tune in. Just because, listen, just because God is silent doesn't mean he's quiet. Okay, a couple, couple verses for you to jot down. Psalm 19.1 says this, the heavens declare, that word means shout. They, the heavens shout the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Romans 1.20, all my outdoor people love this verse, right? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Literally, creation speaks of God. So we could all right now go like, I read my Bible this morning. I had a quiet time. I didn't get anything out of it. I don't think God's really talking. And we could just line up and go out that door. We might have to walk a little bit to find some green stuff. But eventually, we're going to find trees and we're going to find grass we're not going to go to my house. You won't find grass there. But you know what I'm saying. We'll go somewhere, and we'll start seeing. Go just two and a half hours and go to the mountains. Two and a half hours to go to the beach. Go somewhere, and you'll see creation. And, and it's speaking of God. So just because he's silent does not mean he's quiet. Sometimes we're the ones that are distracted. When things get quiet, we start to wonder what what we really want. So that's the second way it challenges us. It challenges the desires of our heart. Can I ask you a hard question? When things get silent in your life, when things get difficult, are you hoping for a solution to your problem? Or are you hoping for a savior to the world's problem? That's a deep question, isn't it? I, I find myself wanting God to fix my stuff. I don't like this time. This is very uncomfortable. I'd like for you to speak so I can get out of my mess. But sometimes God is working behind the scenes, isn't he? He's preparing something that's going to affect a greater good than just my own. Sometimes we, we want a quick fix for us more than a lasting fix for others. And so I would just say this. 
Some of us want a new word from God, and do you know what God wants? He wants faithfulness to the last word. God, if you would just speak a new word to me, if you would just give me something new I could hang my faith on. He's like, um, I've, I've been speaking. Have you been doing? Have you been obeying? Have you been leaning into what I've already said? So silence challenges us, doesn't it? It makes us start asking questions. What do we really want? Am I really listening? And here's the second benefit. Silence prepares us. We, we learn from seasons of silence. Lots of verses I'm going to throw them at you. You ready? Here we go. First thing we do is we learn how to wait. Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. We make coffee mugs out of the last part of those verses. But the promise comes to those who are waiting. Silence prepares us when we learn to wait. We learn to listen. 1 Kings 19, 12. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. He was also not in the earthquake. And after the fire came a what? Gentle whisper. We, we learn how to listen. We, listen, we need to learn how to lean in when God lowers his voice. When I was um, in seminary, they were teaching us how to talk to people because that's important, right? And a lot of us pastors aren't that good at it. And so um, they, they knew I was going to go into youth ministry, so I had this propensity to, like, scream a lot, yell a lot, run a lot. And so this, I remember this one professor, and I'm going to do this to Wendy because I don't want to freaking bail us out. Are you, are you good? And he told me, he was like, you know, Paul, like, you know how to get every teenager to, to listen to everything you ever have to say? And I was like, yeah, you got to, like, do, do funny games and stuff. He's like, no, no, you just got to, like, lean down and start whispering to the person in the front row. You really look good today. I'm so distracted right now. Because when the voice lowers, guess what everybody does? They lean in. I want to hear what that person's saying to that person. That's, that's what we need to do with God. When God gets quiet, when, he be, when it feels like he's silent, we need to learn how to lean in. And we don't do that well. We learn to trust. When God is silent, we learn to trust. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. That wasn't actually the point. Aren't you glad? Thank goodness. Because God has said never, everybody say never. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Listen, when, when, when God is silent, when it appears to us that he's silent, he's teaching us how to trust. Like, I just need you to give me a new word, God. And he's like, well, there's one. I'll never leave you. I've heard that before, but right now it feels like you left me. And he's like, well, right now you're learning how to trust my word. We learn how to walk in victory. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. I love the way it's in the New American Standard Bible. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Always. Always. Look, I'm a Wolfpack fan. I don't know what always triumphing sounds like or feels like, right? I'm, I'm used to, like, I'm a Panthers fan, y'all. Like, last week we watched him snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, didn't we? 
Like, we don't, we don't know what this is like. Some of you are like Carolina and Duke fans, and in basketball, you're like, I know what always triumphant looks like. I, I get it. Some of y'all can relate, but I can't. So we go through these seasons of life that feels like we're not winning, and the question is, in the silence, are we being prepared? Are we being changed? Are we allowing that silence to teach us to walk in victory even when it doesn't feel like we have it? Because that word is true. The promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. And so if God said, I'm always leading you in triumph, then there's never a moment in my life when I'm not moving towards victory. And if that word is true, and it is, I'm not just moving toward victory. I'm walking in victory to another victory. See, I know that you don't believe me. I know you're pushing back. Like, you're, be, you're being kind, and you're smiling, and you're nodding your head, and you're doing all the right church things. But on the inside, you're like, this dude is crazy. If he only knew my life. Well, I don't have to know your life. I know my life, right? And, and I also knew that you would think that, <clears throat> which is why you're going to love the ending. Okay. Last thing, and then we'll get to the end. We can see the ways that silence prepares us. So we learn how to wait, to listen, to trust. We learn how to walk in victory. But the question is, and for all of you, um, all of you practical people, here's what you're thinking. Okay, that's good, Paul. It prepares us. But for what, right? What is silence preparing us for? Oh, man, I'm so glad you asked. It prepares us to proclaim the Father's goodness and the Father's faithfulness. Psalm 71, verses 10 through 18. I'm going to read the whole thing. Okay, you ready? Check this out. The psalmist writes, for my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. So would you say he's in a good season or a bad season? Sounded pretty bad, right? When people are conspiring how to kill you, that's not good. They say God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him for no one will rescue him. He says, do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace, but as for me. Now, where is David here? He's in a place where people are trying to kill him, right? Didn't we just read that? As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. Now, we could stop there, and I could just challenge you with this. When God gets silent, guess what we tend to do? Get silent. Well, I can't, I can't really sing that song, Pastor. I'm, just, I'm not seeing that in my life right now. David said, I'll, I'll praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate to them. Do you hear that? He says, I'm going to talk about your righteous deeds. I'm going to tell about all the good things you've done, but I don't know if I can even relate to that right now. But I'm still going to proclaim it. Verse 16, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me. And to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray. <sighs> mm. Becoming more and more real every day, y'all. I'm not even happy about it, but it's happening. He did not ask my permission, but he's doing it. Do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Can I tell you what 
what God showed me when I when I He put that psalm together with Malachi four six. I read Malachi four six and I was like, God, you've got to be kidding me. This does not feel like you to give a cliffhanger like that. I mean, really, like, hey, I love you and I've given you all these promises and I'm either going to restore you or kill you. It's like that does not sound like the character of the Father that I know. And then he reminded me, verse 18. And we don't know what happened during those 400 years, but I think that verse 18 happened during those 400 years. I think that there were people who had seen God come through before who kept proclaiming his goodness and his faithfulness until the next generation knew it, and that went on for 400 years, and then God spoke again. And guess what happened when he spoke? The word became flesh. And there were people that were ready to receive. They were looking, still expecting 400 years later. Because all through those 400 years, there were people that God had put in position to proclaim the goodness and faithfulness of God. They had anchored their soul in God's goodness. And they would not be persuaded otherwise. Listen, some of you are here today. Some of you are here. God has you in place right now to proclaim to a generation that even though God is silent, he's faithful. Now, because I knew that you would be like, I don't know what to do with that and what does that really look like in real life, I thought we would um, talk about this, this crazy night of my life when it just seemed so innocent. My family and I got in the car, this was years ago, and we went down to go out to eat, and our kids were small enough that they would make noises at the table, right? Not that y'all would ever do that, but, you know, sometimes kids can get noisy at the table. So restaurants got smart, and they started giving them stuff like things to color and crayons. And so this restaurant that we were at, they had this sheet that had, had tic-tac-toe on it. Y'all like that game, tic-tac-toe? Love tic-tac-toe. And so um, while we were sitting there waiting, Will and I decided to play a quick game of tic-tac-toe. And I think that we have pictures of the tic-tac-toe, possibly. Yep, okay, here we do, yeah. So we're sitting at the table, we're waiting on our food, and we had this tic-tac-toe board. And so I said, hey, let's go ahead and play this game. So I'm going to try to walk you through each of the moves. Because I was the father and I loved Will so much, I told him he could take the first move. And so he put his X squarely. Because y'all play tic-tac-toe? That's the odd. That's always the first move. Some of y'all are trying to be creative. You try to go other places. It's never going to work out well. This is always the first move. So when he went there, I, I put my first O down, and then he put his X down, and then I put my O down. And at this point in the game, I, I said, I said, um, Will, the next move, he's probably like four, four years old. I said, the next moves are going to be critical. Like, there's a, there's a way, if, you, if this next move, if you do this next move, the, if you put your ex in the right place, you're going to beat me. And he was like four years old going, really? Are you sure? So just, just go ahead, just try. So he put his next ex down, and then I immediately went ahead and blocked him. Go ahead, yeah. And when, when I put my circle there, Will looked at me, and he said, you tricked me. And I said, no, no, son, I, I promise I didn't, I didn't trick you. Look at the board. Look at the board. And he looked down, and he saw what you already see, right? And he put that X in, and he scratched through the line through it, and he looked up at me, and he said, you're not very good at this game, are you? <laughs> and I want you to know this, that some of us are where Will was when he said, you tricked me. Some of us are looking at God when we're honest enough to do it. And we're saying, 
this silence in my life, this season of me praying and you not answering, this season of things going the way I didn't expect them, this unexpected silence from you, I feel like you have tricked me. You have led me to a place where you blocked me on purpose. And he's saying, listen, no. You only see it from one perspective, but if you'll look a little harder, if you'll lean in a little bit closer, if you'll listen just a little bit more, you're going to see that I have actually not blocked you, but I have set you up for victory. Can I give you your big idea? What we see as a setback, God sees as a set up. We think that he's trying to block us. You think he's trying to block you, but he's not. He's literally moving things behind the scenes so that you and I will see victory. We don't have time to go into all that happened in the 400 years years of silence. But one of the things that happened in the 400 years of silence is that the Septuagint was written. That you're like, wow, I'm so impressed that Paul knows that word. Well, I know how to say it, and I even know what it means. Y'all ready? It's the Greek version of the Bible. And it was used years later to reach a whole other segment of people who would never have understood it the way that it was before. That happened during the 400 years of silence. There was also something else I don't know enough about to talk about, but I know that the Maccabean revolt happened during the 400 years of silence because the people of God finally got fed up enough to say no more. And their hunger started to grow for deliverance like it was not there when Malachi first wrote those words. All because the things that we think are a setback, God sees as a setup. And he's setting the stage. I'll leave you with this, and then we're going to close in a kind of a unique way. I hope you'll participate. My kids are kind of into drama. Some, some of y'all might be into Broadway, that kind of stuff. And it, the thought hit me. When you go see a show, the theater gets really quiet. When? Right before the curtain rises. And sometimes the silence that we hear from God is because He's getting ready to lift the curtain and show us what's really been taking place behind the scenes. Listen, some of you are here this morning, and you are in a season of silence. I I really don't know how to be a good pastor, so in just a minute, I'm fixing to give an altar call that I'm going to respond to. Is that even, can you do that? Because I'm in a season of silence. I love preparing these messages because I get to hang out with my father and he gets to speak to me about me. I'm not here preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. I'm in a season of silence. And you know what I need? You know what my family needs? We need to hear people who have seen God fulfill promises. We need to hear them proclaim until the next generation knows that He is faithful and He is good and He will come through. Well, geez, Pastor, you must be really weak. Yes. Yes, I am. And in my weakness, He will be made strong. And there will be a people that's not scared of that. And I'm not the only one in the room that needs this message. I might be the only one that's willing to stand here and respond. I don't know. We'll find out. But here's what I'd like us to do. In a COVID world, I get it. You do it however you need to be comfortable. I really believe that this morning, people are supposed to respond right here. And then we're supposed to have people that get around them. And they're just going to sing that song, Great is Your Faithfulness. 
I've seen you move the mountain. Do it again. And we're supposed to, you're, some of you are supposed to proclaim that over those of us who need to hear it. Father, in the next few moments, I've invited you. You just come and do what you only you can do. Nobody else can do what you can do. We're not going to stand here and proclaim our strength. We're not going to proclaim our wisdom. We're not going to proclaim our creativity. We're not going to proclaim our Bible knowledge. We're going to proclaim your goodness and your faithfulness. And we will not be silent, God. You have delivered us from places to places so that we can, like David, proclaim who you are and what you do to the next generation. If you're here this morning and you're in a season of silence, I'm just going to ask you to get up out of your chair and just come stand with me, with Wendy. We're going to stand right here. I want you to come first. And then I'm going to ask those of you that have been, you've seen God come through and you are full of faith this morning. I just want you to come and stand behind us. And even if you can't sing well, it's okay. I just want you to come stand here and they're going to lead us and you're just going to begin to sing. Come on, if you want prayer, you just make sure you get right up here on the front row. Still in your hands, this is my confidence. You never 